From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. I live in pain I live in uh, chronic pain most days um, whether it's a migraine whether it's a, you know tingling pain in my in my head or in my feet in my toes or in my hands and uh, and I don't know what else to do you know that's basically what, where where I am at at this point you know I I am doing what I can to take care of my body and I think I have a honestly I have a lot of respect for my body I think I have a newfound appreciation for my body which I never had before. That's Padmapriya DVL, a journalist, writer and co-founder of the podcasting platform Suno India. Padmapriya first contracted COVID-19 in 2020. After recovering from the infection, she began noticing changes in the way her body was functioning. She had crashes where she would faint because her blood pressure would just plummet. she would also have a racing heart while casually watching television but she says what was worse than the physical and the mental health issues was that all the doctors that she saw initially refused to acknowledge that there was anything physically wrong with her with some of their comments even reducing her to tears padmapriya is one of the thousands of long covid haulers in india There's no accurate estimate in India because the healthcare system is only just beginning to treat it as a condition. It was only in September 2021 that India's health ministry came up with guidelines for doctors to treat post-covid conditions. This has meant that most long covid patients have had to shuttle between different doctors attempting to treat individual symptoms. In the UK, the National Health Service has teams of doctors who examine patients of long covid to avoid exactly this scenario. In the US, groups representing long covid patients conducted their own online study among over 3700 people across the country and found that 91% of them were suffering symptoms up to 35 weeks after recovery, that's nearly 8 months. Many of them weren't able to return to previous levels of work and continued to experience conditions that ranged from the physical to the neurological. Padmapriya says she started an open group on Telegram in 2020 just to see if there were others like her who were suffering. In 2021, after a wave of the Delta variant swept through the nation, there was a jump in the number of people joining her group. It now has close to 400 members from across the country. She says some joined the group to talk about what they're going through while others seek help. In this interview, she talks to my colleague Arun George about the toll long covid has taken on her life, what others should know about it, and why we need as many warnings about long covid as about covid itself. Pian, you've described the symptoms multiple times over in the media. what motivates you to keep telling this story over and over again which possibly is not as easy as it sounds uh the reason i tell my story over and over again is because i feel like it needs to be heard and i think it's not being heard enough uh the long covid community in india is is growing i um 
estimates uh, from some reports are saying that it has gone up four times after a second wave unfortunately there is no mechanism to track this like in the uk which where nhs is tracking them and i would think that we are talking about crores of people already living with long covid and going undiagnosed um being uh, probably being labeled as anxiety disorders or as psychiatric disorders and that's what really keeps me going because all these experiences are something that i have been going through for the last almost now 20 months um and i if i can help somebody not go through this experience and also tell them that what they're experiencing is true and it's not happening in their head then i i would be glad to recount my experiences as traumatic as they are over and over again would you talk about some cases where you were literally told that this is sort of in your head and it's not a actual physical problem i would be sitting and watching something on netflix and my pulse rate would be 150 160 and i like i would get breathless i would almost feel like i was running or climbing a few you know stairs um and i think at that point i contacted a cardiologist and i remember telling her this and um, her first instance was are you anxious like her first question was are you anxious i told her no this is not anxiety i know what anxiety feels like um and it it took me a lot of convincing to get her to even prescribe certain tests for me you know because she was very convinced that i was a i i had psychiatric problem and it was very invalidating this was one experience the other experience was when i was going through like a battery of tests and i was shuttling between a private hospital and a semi government hospital for second opinions for my neurological condition um those people in that semi government hospital also suggested that i also get a psychiatric evaluation done and i think that was one of the most traumatic experiences that i have gone through where uh, the psychiatrist actually uh, she actually shamed me for uh, for being so sick she she asked my husband if if he was if he was sure that i was not faking it she was sure that uh, it was all in my head and uh, she asked me if i have a problem with being told that i have depression uh, so it was really like what just happened and i remember just walking out of her room crying because i couldn't cope um so it was really really traumatic it's not one doctor or two doctors but it's been like across specialties i have been medically gaslit um been told that oh it's all in your head this can't be happening there's no proof of this there's no evidence but all your all your results seem to be fine so the symptoms you're describing are far more severe right yeah. there will be people who will be with far less severe symptoms but see it sort of in their daily lives right and and it's easy to sort of brush it away for long haulers it's the reality is that we are having a range of symptoms uh, which sometimes are not ex- explicable in my case i was diagnosed with something called as dysautonomia which is basically where the autonomic nervous system becomes dysfunctional um so on an average day i uh, experience uh, severe palpitations i cannot my body cannot uh, moderate temperature it cannot um, do the temperature balancing so i'll give you an example so something as simple as taking a shower with warm water can lead me to blackout in the bathroom um so i need my husband around at all times when i'm taking a bath he needs to be out right outside the door and just a, when i'm about to faint if i feel like i'm feeling fa- like faint then i actually do call out to him um and this is something that happens on a literally like on a thrice in a week basis i think we need to acknowledge that this is a biological problem which needs a scientific solution which needs a biological solution and even before we talk about solutions i think there needs to be an acknowledgement that this problem exists 
and for me that's the biggest problem that i'm a lot of the patients are even i'm talking to or people i'm talking to tell me is that doctors are not willing to acknowledge that this problem can even exist but for me the thing is that why are they not accepting it because post viral illnesses are not unknown you know you have had issues with post chicken ginia you have issues post dengue all these are viral illnesses so why is there so much resistance to accept that something can happen post covid which is a novel virus in itself so much is unknown about this virus why is the resistance to actually acknowledge that you don't know as a medical professional so sometimes just listen to the patient who for whom it's a daily reality for me this is my daily reality if i'm having a flare up i cannot sit for more than 20 minutes without it triggering a severe migraine um i can barely eat um because i'm extremely nauseous all the time or my stomach is just not functioning the way it should be i cannot sleep my heart rate is not stable um and on top of it my mental health issues get triggered so this is my reality at the same time we sort of have these sort of national guidelines which say this is what you should be looking for these are the symptoms do you think that that's not reached enough people do you think that it's not been read enough um one it's not being spoken about enough icmr is not talking enough about these guidelines or whichever authority needs to talk the ministry of health you need to talk about it talk about long covid talk about ye ho sakta hai you might get these symptoms after covid if you get these symptoms what do you do you know i don't think there is enough awareness among the medical fraternity about it there are that it's the 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 awareness of what i am understanding from my interaction is in is in is in little pockets and it's also among doctors who are keen to figure out what is actually happening so it's only the curious doctors who are really probing and those doctors who are actually willing to listen to these patients and willing to push further so for example for me my breakthrough happened because i had that one internal medicine specialist guy um who i went to him i told him all my symptoms i told him this cardio is saying i'm having anxiety he says so what like uh, he, she still needs to tell you why you're having anxiety right? and he prescribed a battery of tests and it revealed that i had very the high levels of testosterone so high that um, they suspected an adrenal gland tumor he said your body is stuck in fight and flight mode and this and this i have seen this happen in post viral illnesses where the body thinks it's still fighting and now it's damaging your own body you know you just need that one doctor who can who is curious who is willing to listen to you i think just having that sort of open mindedness is really important and i think that's somewhere i feel i i mean i don't blame the healthcare as you know people either you you're exhausted we are now what entering the third year of this freaking pandemic right um, and um, it is very frustrating you know they're exhausted they're burnt out you know you have doctors who have been doing this on top of all the other duties that they have so to add a long covid epidemic amidst amidst it is of course very frustrating for them but it's equally frustrating for the patients um you spoke of this interdisciplinary teams that are there abroad and things like that you've done a fair bit of reading yourself you've been part of multiple groups do you know any such thing in india currently no nothing i mean i just know of like bits and pieces that somebody is saying that oh there is someone in vellore who is looking at it um but i don't know of anything in that interdisciplinary manner and i might be wrong me and the page the telegram group uh, members of the telegram group we are planning to put together a questionnaire of sorts which we want to put out to the fun to people in the group itself and we want to kick start a sort of like a patient driven research sort of a thing um and with you know like minded and doctors we want to see if some research uh, institute would be willing to sort of collaborate with us 
um we do want to do this and hopefully in the next few months we can kick it off because this has happened body politics survivor cops um and others in other countries have done this it's been it's been largely patient led and i think that's how it's going to be in india too another aspect you mentioned was the numerous tests meetings all of that that you have to do that also comes with a high cost associated that is a major factor for a lot of covid long haulers right because at some point you're going to hit a wall where you say this is my budget and i can't cross it in a sense absolutely i mean i can tell you for a fact that all my savings are gone i am left with i'm starting from scratch when it comes to savings um with the long covid with the covid hospitalization with the rehospitalizations because of my flare ups been admitted in the hospital five times in one year um and i invariably landed in the private sector and it has meant heavy cost because it means battery of tests it means you know consultant charges room fees and there is only so much your insurance will cover the other issue is that uh, with the covid icu the charges were just through the roof so for a lot of people uh, who even had like mild covid but ended up with long covid they are now spending lakhs on these tests right for example one might run from a cart they might be having same palpitations right so they'll go to the cardiologist the cardiologist will tell them to get xyz test then they'll say oh this is fine maybe you need to go see a pulmonologist now the pulmonologist will say get xyz test so it just starts piling up because you're also moving from specialist to specialist whereas long covid is very interdisciplinary you need to have an interdisciplinary team you need to have maybe a set of tests and now there is growing evidence that there are micro clots so you need to have those tests in place to even diagnose come to some sort of a diagnosis so um the financial burden is overwhelming this is a mass disabling event which is happening you know um, not everybody is going to rebound you know a lot of people in that group also have had to quit their jobs so it's a mass disabling event because you are hit with chronic fatigue you are ba- barely able to get out of bed then you slip into depression or you get some other health issues so what is the social sort of cushion that you have here as of now there is nothing for long haulers you know and that's the truth for people who have been living with so many other kinds of disabilities visible and invisible in this country this thing of blacking out you know it, it yeah. you you talk of it very casually like something that just happens but when it keeps happening over and over in a day what does that do to your day in a sense and what does it do to how you do say very normal thing um i think initially when this was happening um i was very distraught it was very distressing um because it had it had become so debilitating for me um even just the act of taking one step would mean uh, i needed support i needed a walker at one point um i couldn't go to the bathroom on my own so i basically lost whatever little autonomy i had and you know you start battling with your own inherent biases that you have towards disability right so i think i went through that phase where i was very distressed and i was really angry then i went through then i came to a point of acceptance that you know what this is how it might be for the next few months because that's what the doctor told me like one that this is like dysautonomia is irreversible it can only be managed there is no cure for this I don't mean to talk about it in a in a casual manner but maybe it sounds that way because it has happened so often to me that at some level I have become desensitized when I think about it rationally it's very upsetting because that means that a part of me has almost become dehumanized but 
that's i think also my way of coping you know i talk about it also to cope you spoke of talking as a coping mechanism you also have you are part of multiple groups you run one on telegram what do you find are coping mechanisms that people are using to get to or sort to sort of come to terms with all of this i think the problem with um, psychoanalyzing actual chronic illnesses means that people can get really turned off from seeking therapy when they need it the most and i think that's happened with some people in the group um, where because they have been psychoanalyzed they have become resistant to seeking help but i think for a lot of the people in the group the group itself is a coping mechanism so just coming and writing about their experience knowing that there are others who are going through similar stuff um knowing that their experiences won't be invalidated in that group for them that in itself is a coping mechanism and i started that group honestly because i was like this i cannot be the only person in this country having this you know this this is bizarre like um and it we are now at like 360 370 people which is still very small number but you know it's still substantial and now it's come to a point where we have some patients you know who are willing to uh, even like i put myself out saying you know i'm up for any sort of research study you know so we have a lot of uh, people there saying that you know uh, please like if there is any research going on in india let us know we want to be part of it um we do exchange uh, information on doctors we also have a doctor in the group now who does sometimes advice on what to do is it even possible for everyone to juggle work with if they're dealing with long covid no it is not and i think i have been uh, in some way lucky enough and privileged enough to have that sort of you know that cushion of savings and you know my husband working to take time off work to take time off work as much as i wanted because it was my own firm if it was somewhere else i would not have had that cushion i would have had to leave the job maybe they would have said okay 3 months samajh sakte hain but uske baad no one's going to get it they'll be like sorry we can't make an exception for you so you might have to resign um but i think it's it's really difficult and that's the biggest another biggest learning for me that happened is that i had to come out of this productivity mindset right and tell myself that nothing is more important than your health and i had to learn to put myself first and put everything aside and i'm only now slowly getting back into work like i do like two tasks per day you know that's from one task now it's gone up to two tasks um so that's it like instead of my usual 8 to 9 hours of work i probably do like 2 to 3 hours of work that's it and then the rest of the day i rest and now i don't feel guilty about the resting part because i know my body needs it a lot of the conditions that long coviders have is a sort of it is very in common with chronic ailments right and yeah. is there are there lessons that can be drawn from how we live with chronic ailments how we deal with chronic ailments uh i can tell you personally for me the biggest support has come from the me uh, cfs communities um myalgic encephalitis and chronic fatigue syndrome uh, communities i i've been diagnosed with cfs too um and these communities have been having it for decades and they have been unheard and these communities for the longest times have been demanding research into it and it's only now because long covid has become so huge that there is more research going into it a lot of these communities have actually helped the long covid communities they have you know whether it's about teaching us how to pace right pace ourselves all we know is you just you know as an able bodied person you do as much as you can and you know you are in this whole funda of hope you have to be your highest productive self whereas once you are hit by something like this you learn that 
no, that's not how it works. You listen to your body much more closer. So you learn the concept of pacing. I learned the concept of something called as, you know, spoons. You only have these many spoons of energy in a day. So you need to know how to use it productively, wisely rather. And then I understood, learned the concept of energy envelope. Every body has an energy envelope and you need to discover yours and not push it beyond that envelope because once you do that, a flare up happens. I would not have learned any of this from any of the doctors who diagnosed me. For me, I, I learned from the POTS community that uh, recumbent cycling can help me. Uh, sitting and cycling. It's recumbent cycling, the exercise cycling. Or uh, just being in water, swimming, it helps. Or wearing compression clothing helps, you know. So all of these things we learn from the community. Well, I learned from the patients themselves. I mean, I got very less of it from the doctors. Uh, definitely anxiety. Um, I think a lot of anxiety about health, about the future. A lot of us have now faced with depression. Um, not, I think it's not just because of long COVID. A lot of us also are having uh, PTSD. Um, you know, it could be because we were hospitalized so many times. There is a lot of medical trauma within the body, which the, the body records. Um, so I got diagnosed with a PTSD post my ICU stay. Um, and now I am looking for alternative therapies to sort of figure out how to sort of help myself. Insomnia, it's not really a mental health thing, but it does lead to a lot of other mental health conditions. Today morning, I woke up feeling the most rested in 14 months. And by that, I mean, I did not have any nightmares. I did not have any flashbacks. I did not wake up, you know, sweating profusely, you know, with severe palpitations. So I actually slept through eight hours straight after 14 months, which is ridiculous. No one should be deprived of sleep for so long. How do you deal with a family that you're constantly trying to reassure? You spoke of the toll it takes on your caregivers. Yeah. Um, you live with your family. A lot of long COVID long haulers will be having the same situation. Uh, how, how, what is that sort of bargain you make? How, how do you kind of deal with family in this time? It meant that I had to actually sit down and explain to them what was happening with me. Um, they saw me, you know, having mental breakdowns, anxiety, nervous breakdowns, anxiety, panic attacks. Um, and, you know, like most Indian families, uh, mental health issues are not very openly spoken about. So it meant that I had to sit down and tell them that, listen, this is what's happening right now with me and X, Y, Z things will trigger me. So don't say those things. So, you know, sometimes out of concern, repeatedly asking also can like be very overwhelming, right? So I went through that entire phase. And now I think we've reached, they now are in a, we are as a family, I think we're in a more understanding phase. They get it. Um, but of course, there are days when I have to put up an act that all is uh, fine and it's okay. I almost feel like now, if I tell them this is happening, I feel I feel like I'm whining, you know, in my head, I feel like I'm whining about it. I also have to deal with my own mind telling me stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the trade-offs are really crazy. Now I am like, if I don't feel like speaking to somebody, I tell them I don't, I'm not in a great space. I can I speak to you later? And I don't think I would have naturally learned those. One of the things that I can tell you for sure that a lot of people post-COVID, the biggest mistake that they're doing, which I did, is to get back to work immediately. It's like COVID khatam ho gaya, got the negative test, go back to work. And I, no one can blame them. You know, I, you can't even blame anybody for that. But what that is actually happening is in some bodies, especially among women and younger people, it's triggering that fight and flight response and it's leading to this long COVID. 
a uh, lot of people are going back to their exercise regimes i have read uh, fitness experts on instagram saying ki we have a post covid fitness regime and i'm like no like please do not exercise after you know at least for a month a month and a half after you're fully recovered because uh, it can actually exacerbate your condition it can actually worsen it you'll get something called as post exercise malaise you know and it can lead to chronic fatigue like anything that covid has taught me uh, i really wish it was not covid that taught me this and it was in some other mechanism that i got these lessons these life lessons was that you need to slow down and you need to listen to your body we're now looking at this potential third wave in a sense um and this is not going to be the last one how do you and how do people in this group talk about this current surge in cases for one and then sort of dealing with the future in a sense i only have fear it's just intense fear that i have right now with this omicron and you know this potential third wave which even without this variant i think we were all you know gearing up for um and the stuff that i saw in the second wave in the icu have been extremely heartbreaking when i hear the question the initial reaction my body is out of fear so um yeah i i don't even know what what this new normal actually means because people are going about their lives not everybody is taking it as seriously as they ideally should the other thing that i'm really surprised with which is still happening is a number of people who have yet to get their first dose to me that is mind boggling you might you might think that oh my i just got a mild infection but it will actually lead to long covid and this is the thing that most governments are also not talking about arun the problem is that governments are only talking about covid third wave but talk about long covid talk about the the epidemic that follows after every wave that is that there will be lakhs of people who will get long covid and you cannot deny it you know you cannot run away from that reality Today's episode is produced by Arun George and Sunai Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TOI Plus, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at toipodcasts@timesinternet.in.